Welcome to Mommy and Daddy, the podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. Because parenting can be scary. And kids are definitely creepy. Oh, Carol. Hello, Josh. Hello. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be back. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here and we're... He did. We are going to redo this episode. We have also just been away, not only from the podcast, but from our regular lives. We went to Yosemite. National Park. I don't mind saying so. (laughs) Not to brag or anything, but it is a national park. That's right. It's famous all over the nation. And you know it. We love it. Um... You got to go. Take your kids. Take your grandparents. Take your aunt. Take your dogs. Your aunt's dog. Take, take everybody. Take two cars. Take two cars. Have both drive them separately and don't have a vacation together uh, if you want to. Because <laughs> that's what we did. That's what we did. It's how we spent uh, w- the week where our children's child care is closed. Uh, and we went on that trip. It was great. It was really lovely, but we did not have a lot of time together. And we also discovered that the audio for the episode that we recorded um, for Poltergeist, 1982 Poltergeist, Mm, the movie, got just totally sucked into the television of audio signals. and Yeah, it sounded like complete trash. It sounded like we were singing into a can. And so we knew we had to redo this one for you guys because, oh, was it a palate cleanser, if there ever was one, after last month's episode. Uh, Insidious. Insidious. Yeah, that one was so horrible. And spoiler alert, the poltergeist is so great. It's a movie that we both very much enjoy it's very near and dear to my heart and so it was exciting to do an episode about a movie we really like because i you know after several right in a row of movies that were pretty bad that we didn't like i thought you know what let's not have the podcast just be about us shitting on movies let's dive right into poltergeist yeah let's watch something that's actually good so we can talk more about Things that are good rather than spending your time reviewing a movie. But before we get into the parenting tricks and tips from Poltergeist, pitfalls and spit takes, we, (laughs) I... Pratfalls and raffles. Waffles. Mm, And and scrapple. Scrapple. Sets my Delaware heart a tingle. (laughs) Um... Scrapple his eyeballs in patty form. Look it up. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into all that and more, I just want to take a moment here and look back, Mm. reflect. Uh, Now that we're the ripe old age of six episodes, I thought now might be a good time to talk about the reason for our podcast and... The reason for the season. Mm. Mm -mm. We've never done that. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. The podcast originally came about because our mutual friend, 
Maggie, who we talk about in the credits every week, she called me and had this inspired moment in the shower where you have most of your best thoughts that Josh and I should have a podcast where we talk about horror movies and we should call it Mummy and Daddy. And it was a great idea for a podcast, but I thought that it needed something else, not just Josh and I talking about horror movies, which we could, that would be a fun podcast. We both love horror movies. I have a background in film and I write movies, but I thought just because of that funny title that it might be a great way for us to talk about parenting. And the truth is we are not qualified to give parenting advice. We have no No. degrees between us in child education or psychology. We are not qualified. (laughs) We've raised no children to adulthood. Right. But the thing is... And why I I feel like it's such a important thing to talk about is that we're new parents, right? Like we have children under four, but every parent is going along a journey. They're new at it. Even if you're, even if people you might see have five or six children, that's still their like unique path, right? Like as parents, we're all kind of in it together, unqualified. There's no book, there's no manual, there's no degree that you have to get to just be a parent. And Josh and I really enjoy parenting. We like thinking about it and like discussing our children. We don't find it to be like a burden. No, Um, if we were single parents dating someone, our dates would be really horrible because we, when we go out with each other, we talk a lot about parenting and about our own kids. We do. I love it. I like, and get a lot of joy out of it. Yeah. We definitely like co-parent. It's such a strange thing, but like we've pretty much do have like very equal parts in parenting our kids. And so, and I think that there is a feeling when you're listening to podcasts or reading books or articles, whatever it is that parents do to enlighten themselves on this whole journey or, you know, fix a problem that they're having with their kids. There's this, um, there's this feeling that, that the person behind whatever advice that is, doesn't really get it. They don't really get like your situation. We listen to a parenting podcast from Janet Lansbury called Unruffled. And we really enjoy uh, her take on things. It's based in the Rye philosophy of parenting, which is basically just like respecting your children as people. We don't follow the Rye tenants completely. Um, we have friends who take classes in Rye and, and we don't do all that, but we do like Janet Lansbury a lot. And uh, she has two books that are wonderful and also just like topic based and pretty accessible. But even even then she doesn't, I mean, the big issue is that like, to your point about, you don't feel like they get you. She doesn't have to go to work every day. She doesn't have to put two kids into childcare. Right. So, you know, there's just this, I feel like there's always this sense of you're not really understood. And I thought that like through the lens of horror movies, it's just like a fun way to talk about all these things that we are all going through in some aspect, in some way or another. And 
it brings up like a lot of different the different of those issues. And you know, Josh and I just really like talking about these things with each other. So it would kind of just all fit together. And yeah, we've just had a lot of great feedback from you, our listeners. We're so happy that this is uh taken off and we just really enjoyed doing it. And it's good to be back. It is great to be back. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a night. What a life. What a film. Let's recap that film. Oh. So let's I thought you'd never ask. Let's turn to our tried and true method of recapping the films we watch. The steady hand that guides us. The Janet Lansbury of websites, some have said. So many millions of people. Billions, billions and billions served. The internet movie database. (laughs) (laughs) And its user base. All right. So there were two recaps on IMDb that I just had to dismiss out of hand until I've settled on the one I think we should read. Can we hear those ones? (laughs) Yes, of course. The first one is uh, brought to us by Kenneth Chisholm. Ah, yes, of the Ohio Chisholms. Yes. A family's home is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. Mm. The end. (laughs) Nailed it. A pithy man. It's not even right, but that's the one. And I think that's the one on the actual page for the movie. Okay, second one. Craig T. Nelson stars as Steve Freeling, the main protagonist. Okay, it goes on from there, but that's ridiculous. Just viewing this movie it, through that lens, uh, that's insane that he would be the main protagonist of this movie. He has no more or fewer lines noticeably than any other character in his family, save his eldest daughter. It's not about... The dad, it's just ridiculous. And I think that Diane, Jo Beth Williams, she actually gets top billing. Yes, in, that's right. Yeah. In the opening credits, she has top billing. Right. So, I mean, although I would say it's like an ensemble cast, that there is no main protagonist in this movie. Yeah, just because it takes place at Craig T. Nelson's work doesn't mean he's the protagonist. <laughs> they just happen to live there. Right. It also takes place at Jo Beth Williams' work, as far as we know. Mm, stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. So here, Josh, read the real deal here. The Freelings are a typical suburban family. Husband Steve, his first and last name, husband Steve sells real estate in their ever-expanding subdivision, and Diane is a stay-at-home mom caring for their three kids, Dana, Robbie, and little Carol Ann. Strange things begin to happen in the house, however. Cupboard doors open on their own, furniture rearranges itself, and chairs go sliding across the kitchen floor. It's a bit of whimsy at first, but soon becomes deadly serious when Carol Ann vanishes into a netherworld where, oddly, she can only be communicated with through the white noise on their television. A team of paranormal investigators move into the house, but the forces that kidnapped are evil and powerful, requiring the services of Tangina, a woman who has dealt with the situation before. Thank you, Gary KMCD. Classic Gary. I almost want to know what other movies he's... uh, Almost, but not quite. Yeah, you're right. Not so badly enough that I'll click on it. (laughs) Like I said, this movie is very close to my heart. I watched it many times as a child. My age while watching this movie 
I'm not really sure about. My older sister claims that she was nine when we watched it. Which would make you zero. No, my other sister. So um, so wow. Monica, Aunt Monica. Oh, yes. You know, there's just a discrepancy right now between aunt and aunt. Josh's family says aunt. We say aunt. We don't know what to call the aunts. The aunts, we don't know. We go back and forth. Some of it just sounds better with certain names is what I've realized. But I do think that it's because I come from an aunt family, then I get caught up with the fact that ants are bugs that they're pretty fascinated with, too. And so I really want to separate the two and not having them think that Aunt Monica is an aunt. Our children are idiots. <laughs> they're dumb idiots. <laughs> Despite everything we've said. <laughs> we just it's... like talking about them because, you know, we can't talk to them because they're idiots. So. Yeah, yeah. They spend most of their time just running full force into door jams. That's actually true. <laughs> so okay, so Aunt so Monica, she was nine. She was nine, which would have made me six. If I was that young, then hey, maybe I was because this movie is very uh, ingrained in what I realized was a lot of my perspectives and my takes on parenting and marriage that I didn't really realize until viewing it now, post kids. There are just a lot of things in this movie that uh, I think about all the time. Ooh, I'd like, like to hear that. See, because my experience with this film is not nearly as many viewings. I've seen it several times. Right, right. That's about it. Yeah. So a few of those things. First up, very first scene of the movie, there is a man riding a bicycle down the suburban street. Oh, yes. He has a sad suburban Bonnie Prince Billy yes. on his BMX. Yeah. And he's carrying a comic amount of beers. It seems like way more than 24. I don't know. It's just a loose case, a flat of beers he's holding yeah. sideways on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. and um, On a DUI bike. That bike is, <laughs> that is the first signpost that that man has a DUI and not a valid driver's license. True. Because it's clearly a child's. Yeah. Doesn't fit him. Well, the children. He's not of a the, cyclist. No. The children of the neighborhood have uh, ganged together and um, they're trying to make him fall on the bicycle with some remote control toys, some cars and. Um, a massively shitty thing to do. <laughs> right. And they succeed. He falls off the bike, as do some beer cans. And he stumbles into the house where our main protagonist, oh, Craig the main T. protagonist. Who could forget Craig T. Nelson? <laughs> Craig T. Nelson. They're all watching football, but some of And the all his friends are just chanting, Craig, 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 Craig. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie about him. So, so the this beer can is like spraying everywhere and just the whole scene, this guy falling with all this liquid. My spill phobia is going crazy. Oh yeah, just, that's right. They're, all the cans are split. They're just spraying full force out of the side of the can. Then no one is reacting yeah. at <laughs> all to this to this happening. They're so glued to the game, these fellas. It's so strange. I think about that. I think about Diane, the mom, has this like, gorgeous hair and i'm like watching it now realizing how much this hair has like been my my hair muse mm. throughout my life like i i just it's just this like videl sassoon you might say mm. uh salon fabulous yeah it's just really like full and like kind of wavy and 
but not so like it's actually a hairstyle that takes a lot of work but uh looks very effortless and like just watching it now realizing like oh wow that hair really stuck with me um gross no there's a yeah i i get you i it's it is funny because it is entirely unremarkable yeah to me i think it all ties into just how much i like her as like a mom and a wife we'll get to that later i also think about this one all the time their giant bedroom so they have this i have bedroom envy so bad (laughs) they have this massive bedroom where they can not only fit this like king size bed, but like other furniture and and like Craig T. It, Nelson's like standing on the bed at one point, like jumping. jumping. Up. <laughs> He's jumping up and down on the bed. This a giant of a man just up and down on these vaulted ceilings. <laughs> Our bedroom by comparison. Yeah. So Josh and I live uh, in a craftsman home that was built 1000 years ago, um, actually yes. over 100 years ago. And the average height of an American person was four foot seven. Yeah. Was Tangina height. (laughs) Tangina was considered a giant in those days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Josh can't even fit in like under the doorways in our house, let alone inside (laughs) the bedroom. Doorways. Josh is very tall. Maybe we got screwed over by a unscrupulous real estate person now that i'm thinking about this i don't know that all houses have these half doors wait a minute you moved the door jams but you didn't there's something there (laughs) yep yeah exactly i'm not gonna find it right now but there's something there we'll come back to it later on in the show (laughs) if our bedroom is like i don't know it's 12 feet by 12 feet something like that it's like the exact we have like a budget with a wish list and king bed is still on there if we got a king size mattress in our room, we would live on a king size mattress. We you would open the door and walk on to mattress. The mattress room. It'd be yeah. the mattress room. Kids would love it. It'd be difficult to it. change the sheets. Yeah. <laughs> or get things out of a drawer, say. Which we need because the closets are so tiny in a craftsman home. Nobody had like a lot of clothes back in nineteen twelve. They just One had outfit. like their two out three, they're including their wedding clothes. You're right. And your funeral outfit that you'd keep. Same thing, right? <laughs> yeah and your so, bathing costume yeah <laughs> that's it that's all they had it's all they needed and it's all they deserved four yeah, foot seven really, dead by 11 that's we, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we really gotta take that off of our wish list because it really implies like moving and so much more it's kind of it, just like you look at it and you just think about like failure we gotta take it off the wish list it's going it's gone Forget it. Consider it gone uh, until we get some serious Squarespace uh, sponsorships on here. There we go. But not only their giant bedroom, but like their time together after they put the kids to bed. Hell yeah. Smoking joints in the bed. Yeah. Well, they have this time where they're just like goofing off. She's they're smoking pot. He's like kind of reading a book, kind of watching TV. And it's just like this nice time together and and like the light is so good in the room when this is all happening it's like again like this way that i didn't realize until watching it now how much i think about their relationship and like even you as a partner like i like craig t nelson just like reminds me of you in this movie that's like the best compliment i've ever received (laughs) which i thought when i was writing the notes for this i didn't think you would be happy to hear that but i'm glad you are because i really like him and i love him in this movie 
but he's, he's a beefcake. I love Craig T. Nelson. Oh. Who does that? Listeners, chime in. Please tell us what you think about Craig T. Oh, maybe, Nelson. Maybe we'll put up an Instagram poll. Ooh. It's it's just funny. Like he is he's like you in a lot of ways. Like he's silly with the kids, but he's when things are starting to devolve at the house, like he's really serious and like thoughtful about it. And the way that they I don't know. Maybe it's just his like deep set eyes. He looks really tired in the movie. Um, yeah, because he hasn't slept in like six weeks because his daughter's been caught in the wall. That's what I look like. Any of you who haven't so, met me before, I look like, like a distraught and traumatized father. It's just like what I like in a guy. But just like the way that they parent and the way that they interact throughout the whole movie, it was really crazy to think about what kind of like a progressive movie this is um yes i mean because we do have to say this was it was made in 1982 pet cemetery which we've watched Mm -hmm. 1985 yeah three years after it parenting that is horrible and there are and there are other parallels with that story in this and it's i mean it's really kind of sad that someone could have seen this successful movie be made and then think like eh Let's have a shitty relationship instead. Like it's so, it is, it really is. It's so positive. They back each other up constantly. There's no like sniping. There's no, yeah, they, the, they, a parent isn't at fault in this movie, which I think is right. really kind of key to this. There's no, there's no like resentment to one of the parents. They trust each other. They, right. They believe each other. Like when things happen, they, they're not like questioning the other person and they i mean they're happy and in love right you know and insidious so, which was made 18 years later yeah is a piece of shit right <laughs> fuck insidious but yeah you just don't see that in movies you don't see this like happy couple parenting in a really respectful way like usually some of the plot is tied up in that um conflict and yeah. That just isn't the case here. And I think that I really responded to that as a kid. But yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that sticks with me in this movie. Mm. Much like the goo that they come out of the purgatory world in. Think about that like strawberry jam goo all the time. Yeah, very Ghostbusters 2 goo. Oh, which you know I love. Oh, yeah. Do you think that was this leftover poltergeist goo that they got their hands on cheap? It was. As a dad, I like a deal. Fun fact, that's not true, but style the times. I'll tell you one thing that I don't remember that somehow slipped my mind, but that we were met face to face with another mummy and Diddy first, everyone. Our first battle with Carol's greatest foe, besides a spill, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry! Jerry! Oh, maybe we need a Seinfeld drop for a, I mean, a Banya or a Newman. We do need a Jerry thing because it's clearly going to come up a lot. Jerry Goldsmith is fucking prolific for some reason. And Dumb Doofus is like one of the only movies that John Williams doesn't score for Steven Spielberg. And it's this movie. He somehow like almost pulls it off. Yeah. But then you just hear like the ratchety, whatever. What's that? Do you know what that percussion instrument's called? Are you talking about a vibra slap? Like a. The thing that goes. Oh, that. Yeah, no. like that thing. He's got that, like, but to, it, it's to indicate uh, fear 
Like when Robbie is Robbie the son, yeah. Robbie sees the clown at the foot of his bed. He just adds all these dumb sound effects like he's a Foley artist. Uh, and I hate him now, too. I didn't know I hated him until I just want to back up my wife. No, you there's know? so many things that you hate now because I hate them. And I love oh, that. that about you. <laughs> I used to be a very kind person. Oh, well, I mean, not just kind. You were like not as judgmental. You were not as... blissfully unaware of. Yes. I, I'd fall down the stairs and not hear xylophones beneath me. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. It was a kind of. Okay. Listen, what, listening to the movie, because there's so much of it is his fucking score. I was kind of like making excuses for him. Like. Because I love the movie so much. I was like, yeah. well, it's Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg actually directed this movie. Um, right. Toby Hooper is credited to to have directed. But it's like kind of like a... Hollywood legend. Yeah. like famous a Hollywood, Yeah, famous Hollywood rumor, rumor that Steven Spielberg, who produced the movie, he was under contract while he was directing E.T. And he could that his contract stipulated that he couldn't direct another movie while he was directing that so he but he was on set every day in poltergeist and it's not hard to believe because it's a very spielbergian movie it's a lot funnier than texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> it's slightly funnier mm-hmm. and more whimsical hmm, i'll say that a little bit of whimsy thank you gary how could i forget thank you gary <laughs> and so a recapper i was just thinking like okay it's spielberg you know it's He's adding this like magical element and he's, you know, it's dealing with the supernatural, like it's creating this whole world. And I mean, the truth is it's just heavy handed as all of his scores are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just begging for somebody to argue with me about this because I've already convinced Josh. So please, Jerry Goldsmith fans out there, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call in. Do not email. Do not text nor comment. We will not acknowledge it. Jerry Goldsmith, it is the his score in this is the equivalent of someone of like a dumb like Laurel Laurel and Hardy type of like I won't say another word. Nope, not another word out of me. Just zipping these lips, throwing away the key. Not another peep out of this guy. It's him trying to do like these ambient you know tonal moments in this movie just to set this eerie undertone. He cannot pull it off for the life of him. He's trying so hard and he gets so close so many times, but then. There has to be like a jump scare moment in uh, in Robbie's room, mm-hmm. and he cannot keep it inside. He just can't keep it down. He is just, he's ripping that ratchet cranker. He is. <laughs> oh, yes, the ratchet cranker. He's noodling and doodling and whatever he can find just to let you know spine chilling things are coming for you. And it is. Uh, Despite his best efforts, this movie is still wonderful. Yes. And I think probably like the best example of a Jerry Goldsmith score. I mean, I'll have to go through his miles long credits list to see. Why would you do that? I'd be just because. Oh, to see if it's something you've already seen. Yeah. Gotcha. He's my nemesis. I have to know everything about him. I would like for someone out there to actually just rescore this movie. Mute this. Oh, yeah. Hit me with someone with like an analog synth score, very minimal, and just make it good. That's all. This should be a this is a project for you young composers out there. Rescore the oeuvre of Jerry Goldsmith. We'll we'll handle getting you the rights. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got plenty of time and nothing to do except for a vendetta 
against JG. <laughs> Jerry. So let's just jump right into these parenting. You want to talk about parenting? Yeah. Let's try it. Well, we have at least an hour left. Uh, <laughs> Buckle up. Make a sandwich. We're heading back to Yosemite. Pack your gorp. <laughs> um, all right. So first parenting issue that I noticed, I'm going to bring up Pet Cemetery once again here. If you are beginning construction on a pool in your backyard, and while you are blissfully having some like parent to parent time smoking pot in your bedroom, and you voice to your partner that you're concerned that one of your children might fall into that hole that you're digging, here's my advice. Build that fence. Build that fence. You, we were supposed to start the chant there. Build that fence. Build, Build that, that fence. Just oh, doesn't feel right. But no, oh, uh, man, this guy sucks the joy out of everything. Yeah, he's well, like a presidential Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, <laughs> I want Jerry Goldsmith to score Trump's presidency. Yeah, sure. That might be the best use of his powers. So yes, now that Chekhov's hole in the ground has entered this film, you know you got to put a fence around it. You got to do it. Yeah, I mean, put a fence around the hole that you're digging for the pool while it's being dug, or, I mean, and, and or, and slash or. Sure, either one. (laughs) Both of them, if you're so inclined. Uh, The slash implies. So you you keep the fence up or build a a nicer one when the pool is finished, right? It's always going to be a hazard. Yeah. So... It's going to... You can use like that garbage bag cargo net fence. That's fine. Just something to keep a yeah. small child from rolling in. That's right. a, a passing cyclist. Yeah. And then... An errant can of beer. Keep it out of that <laughs> hole. Remote control car. Yeah. You will maybe save a life. Maybe your own child's life. Maybe your own life. Who knows? But you're also going to save yourself the worry, the anxiety, all those things that... If you just do what you got to do to make yourself not worry, you're saving yourself a lot of time and energy as well. Completely. This episode brought to you by Fences. <laughs> by Fences. Living Fences. All right. So speaking of construction, there's another thing. Oh, yeah. That I'd love to talk about with parenting here. This group of goons that yeah. call themselves probably the hole diggers or something horrible. They probably do. Oh, God. They have satin jackets that say as much. Yeah. They, okay, so there is a group of construction workers digging this pool at the Freeling's home. Talk about rude and crude. So much attitude. (laughs) So right in the beginning of the film, Dana, their eldest daughter, who's 16, she's leaving for school. She has her, like, Catholic school uniform on or whatever denomination it is. And she is getting on her bike and the construction workers are catcalling her in just the grossest way. The one guy's doing the like making out with yourself, arms around himself, like up and down his own body. And like, what? I can't remember what he says. It's been a while. I know, unfortunately. Um, He's like, I want some more of that or something. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. They're all just like, they're just being classic creepazoids. Yeah. And but I mean really really aggressive. I mean in a way that is genuinely threatening. Well, it's not threatening. It's it's funny, but it is gross. Like 
and weird and like just totally off-putting. It's only not threatening because it's not, right? I mean, it is a weird, it's a style of the times moment of this movie. Yeah, I mean, if it had happened like on the street and not in her backyard, it would be like pretty scary, Mm -hmm. I think. Or if then one of them didn't uh, stick his head through the kitchen window later and comically like eat soup off out of the pot on the stove and like drink the mom's coffee. Yeah. So Dana turns to the construction workers and she motions with one arm and then the other as though she's like welcoming them. And then she does this like triad of like offensive gestures back to them like fuck you yeah um and like the sort of i don't know what you call the italian one it's like up yours whatever yeah. i don't La know i don't know if that's a thing that probably is like an italian racial slur i don't know but <laughs> but say it anyway why not so it's <laughs> the worst good what's the worst that could happen <laughs> and they all kind of like laugh it off and diane is watching from the kitchen window and she sees the whole thing happen she like laughs and like shakes her head like ah oh, that's my girl yeah like giving giving it back to those guys giving it as good as she got yeah so like half of me is like oh that's so great that this mom has kind of taught her daughter how to be independent or just like given her that that a chance to like defend herself or make those decisions and it's not like defend herself she's not defending herself but just like stick up for herself a little bit and like in sort of like a funny way and like diffusing the situation and so part of me is like all right yeah she handled it well but then the other half of me is like fine like let that moment happen but then fire those men for um assaulting your daughter who's a child yes don't feed them (laughs) don't just like shut the window on them when they reach through the window yeah yeah don't yeah don't just close the venetian blinds yeah Yeah, i completely agree perhaps obviously (laughs) not a lot to uh disagree with there but that i think that it, it gets at the response like what holds up about that response is also not interfering when she is when she sees that her daughter is handling the situation herself, like whatever that situation might be, she doesn't have to intervene. And so she allows her to, you know, to kind of, to be independent and to remain strong and confident in that moment where if she did come and interrupt, she might never have gotten like the chance to try that even, you know? Right. Right. We see that kind of stuff a lot with like, I think it, I don't know if it's at the next scene where the does a great job too of just like both of them. They have so much chill. Mm-hmm. It is it's incredible to watch because I do feel like that's the that's the way I want to be. But we all know how hard it is when like you are low on sleep when your kids are kind of like needling you in different ways when they are just kind of you know there's just different things they're doing to they know they can get a rise out of you or what to how to get what they want or you're just not kind of in a mental place to be super cool about something the kids are all eating breakfast oh yeah like right before then i think oh right okay right right they're they're all like calling each other names and they're really kind of they're funny. Just like teasing each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I also think that's good too. Cause it is again, like the, just like letting the kids kind of do the thing. No one seems to be a, 
like hurt by it. So letting them kind of keep doing their thing. Um, and also like one of the first supernatural moments, moments that we see is like a glass breaks in Robbie's hand, like the bottom shatters out of it and makes a crazy mess on right, the table. Right. And Diane doesn't lose her shit. She just, yeah, she's like, don't it. touch that. Cause it's, sharp glass she's not like right. why did you do that like what are you doing you know she doesn't like jump on them and blame them for the accident right exactly or get frustrated by the fact that like great now i have something to clean up or something that right. I, you, you're you're hassling me over here there's none of that it just it is just acknowledging the situation keeping your kids safe and moving on and that is like so much of all good parenting that yeah. we can do i feel like janet would watch that scene with Pride and joy. Yeah. So like that same morning after the kids go to school, there's this excellent scene. I mean, it's like one of the most iconic scenes from the movie where you really see like the poltergeist come out. Diane like goes to, you know, she's cleaning up breakfast. She pushes in all the chairs at the table and she like turns her back to like do something for Carol Ann. And when she looks back, all the chairs are position balancing on the table just in like the blink of an eye and she gets very emotional about it like her eyes are teary and she Mm. is reacting to it but she's not screaming she's not you know she keeps her chill like Mm. completely around carol ann who's been talking about like this like them you know off and on so diane kind of like knows okay in that moment like this is really happening but she stays so calm you know when really if that happened to you you would be shitting your pants uh you would every should take a moment like right now and actually think if you just turned around right now and whatever is behind you it was completely rearranged in an unnatural way from the way that it was before yeah everything every fluid in your body that's inside your body would be outside your body it would just be you would be so so dry just everything else would be so so wet (laughs) and she keeps it together and doesn't freak carol ann out which is great but yeah so the next like parenting thing i noticed uh here you know even even good parents make bad decisions sometimes as we all know Get caught up in the moment. You're excited about that poltergeist. And who can blame you, really? So, like, cut to Diane has now been, like, kind of playing with this poltergeist all day. When uh, Craig T. Nelson, we don't have to call him uh, Steve. We can just call him Craig. Craig T. Nelson Freeling. (laughs) Craig T. Steve Nelson Freeling. Craig Steve Nelson. (laughs) The T is capitalized. (laughs) Um, like she's just been like playing with this ghost all day you can tell so like he comes home and she wants to show him and this is proves to be a terrible idea if you have a poltergeist in your house that you've just discovered maybe don't use your child to play with the poltergeist as a guinea pig as an adorable blonde guinea pig yeah, I think if you're ever in a in a real life situation version, if you're ever getting to the point as a parent where you find yourself putting a novelty football helmet on your child to actually protect them from something, you need to stop 
and rethink what you're doing. <laughs> right. And maybe just tamp it down and try something different. Right. What I didn't realize at the time, they say it later on in the movie, is that Caroline was born in the house. Mm, that's right. So like that, you know, even if you don't have some sort of home birth situation and a poltergeist attaches itself to that child, even so, look, it's a slippery slope to play games with a poltergeist. So the parenting thing, though, it's that a I pink thought. slime slip and slide. The parenting thing, though, that that I was thinking about is like, you can be super respectful of your children and like treat them with that kind of dignity. But like in the end, like it's this fine line because they aren't adults and they aren't actually making those decisions for themselves. Like she makes that decision for Carol Ann and like permits her to do that and like mm. play this game. But like they're not like you expect so much from your children and a lot of times we underestimate our children, but like overestimating them, it, it like comes with its own perils. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think we do it all the time, even, you know, in big and small ways too, even just with like, sometimes we, we find ourselves as like, Wu is getting older and more interested in different things. We, we love movies. So sometimes we try to make him watch movies that he doesn't he just there aren't either not appropriate for any child or are not appropriate for him that he doesn't want to watch yeah like like, i mean seven it's a classic movie why wouldn't you want to watch that movie with your parents he's seen the rest of the fincher stuff we thought that he'd like that one too we were way off well i mean we're going in chronological order that's right time it was we didn't really have a choice uh we're talking about stuff like toy story where it's really just Tom Hanks yelling at Tim Allen for like 90 minutes. Just being like, shut up, you're a toy. Yeah. For 90 minutes. That's the movie, which is weird to watch. There's one female character in it and she's a total slut. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just everything, nothing, it's all built on nostalgia. Nothing is, nothing in it is for a three-year-old. It's, it's for like a much older child, if at all. I mean, Toy Story 3 is... I thought at the time, like, one of the best movies I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Oh, But yeah. I feel like I and even And too, I to... love Toy Story 2 as well. Sure. I just don't remember it now. <laughs> but I think I still, I would have to revisit these things too because I thought I loved Toy Story and watching it now, I just, I don't know. It Thought I loved Peter Pan. <laughs> Three... <laughs> Peter Pan is unwatchable. It is sexist and like violent in ways that are unnecessary. And that's coming from someone who clearly like loves violent movies. Yeah. It's also super racist. And we didn't even get to that part in the movie before we just shut it off. And we're like, what the fuck are we watching? Where like Tinkerbell is obsessed with like the size of her butt, like going through a keyhole. And is like jealous of Wendy. It's so bad. The dad um, who just yells is an angry drunk, really. Right. right. I mean, that's clearly what he's. Anyway, it turns out 1953, not a great time for. Uh, for yeah. I feel like we've talked about. Have we talked about this before? Or just I don't on a re-record. I don't on the know. original version of this. Sorry, if we've, if we've done this before, stop us now. But and- Peter Pan, uh, the book is actually really great. So 
check that out if you want some Peter Pan. Um, anyway, older kids might be fine and your kids might be fine with it. I think yeah, that's like the key thing with kids, all this parenting yeah. advice is too, is it like you, you may have not had the same experience, but like we're watching our son absorb this stuff and you can just kind of, well, you can see it. He starts getting really like sweaty and nervous. He started crying sometimes watching some of this stuff. He just doesn't really like human conflict. And that may be a personal thing, but we still, there'd still be times where we find ourselves like pushing it, pushing past that or trying to be like, oh, just watch this part. It's going to be, you're going to like it. Don't worry about it. And I was like, why? What To what end? That is my point. That's where this connects back to where we're at with Carol Ann and Diane is that, that she's making that decision. It's just that, like you're, you're saying, no, 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 just you go do it rather than just listening to your child and giving them a chance to even maybe express why they don't want to watch something or getting that out of them. So you know how to avoid that in the future. Or maybe you know how to then open that door further. If say you want them to like take a risk, if you do want them to like go on a ride or something else they might seem afraid of, right. but like allow them to make the decision. You don't need to step in there. They got a lot of time to uh, do that stuff for themselves. And then when Craig T comes home, I remember you really oh. liked. Oh yeah. Love it. This is like one of my one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it's favorite parenting moment in the movie is Craig T. Nelson. He immediately quarantines the kitchen. He just he sees what's happening, looks around, and says, "No one's going in the kitchen until I know what's happening." Yeah, she's like, "You got to try this," and she shows him like the poltergeist pull a chair across the room. She puts the helmet on Carol Ann, and then she shows him she shows him how the poltergeist pulls her across the room in this place that she's marked. And he's like, and she's like, you got to try it. And she's like so excited about it. And he's like, no, (laughs) we're out of here. Yeah, we're out of the kitchen. That brings on this whole like slew of like very common sense. These are the opposite of don't go in the basement moments. And this movie's full of them. And I do think, and they really extend, especially on the pairing, on the parenting end. He says like, why would you go in this room? Something is clearly fucked up that's happening here. So we're not going in there. Don't keep egging this thing on. Let's find out what's what's happening first. What if it's radiation, right? I mean, that to me is like always the thing with these, the real version of like a ghost story or whatever. Like, what if it's a gas leak? Whatever. Right. Like, just figure it out first and then you can play with it. Right. And then right after that, they go to the neighbor's house to ask them if they've had any like paranormal oh, yeah. activity, shall we say. And it's great because like he has this like strong parenting moment Mm. but then they do kind of like lose their shit a little bit when they're trying to explain it to the neighbor and it's all very it's all very realistic the way that they handle it you know and that they are so together on it which is so great you know and even Mm -hmm. when he's like no we're not we're not going in the kitchen stay out of the kitchen it's not like he's like yelling at her you know no it's for their safety it's full stop it's just like i see that you're excited about this I need to step in here though and say, I don't, we don't know if this is safe. So let's pause until we know what's going on. Right. That seems fair. They're just like a happy in love couple. It's just so pleasant. It's just so nice to see. Another thing that I never really put together in this movie is uh, with the canary dying at the very beginning. Yes. Carol Ann's canary dies. The mom finds it 
And I love that, like, the symbolism with the burial and how, like, she's about to flush it down the toilet and Carolyn sees. So they give it, like, a proper burial, right? Right, right. So it's all, like, I love that foreshadowing about the importance of burying uh, your dead. And, and not moving them, and respecting not, that resting right. place. And then they, then when they dig for the, when they dig for the pool, like they, they dig up the, um, the cigar box, the cigar yeah. box where they bury it. Caroline's so great in that scene. Oh my god, she's unreal. I, not that whole scene is just so great. I love like a very understated Diane moment. Is this a perfect parental? Damn it! When she, she trips over like a roller skate in the room before she finds Tweety. The bird dead in its cage and says something like, do you have to do this on a Saturday? Right. Like when they're all home. Well, Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was going to say is like, that's what I never really like picked up on. Like I picked up on the burial part, but like the part where she's like when she first finds Tweety, she's like this just general callousness towards death. And Mm -hmm. like, what an inopportune time for you to die. One another, I guess, a sort of a parenting flaw that this movie has as a device that a lot of the movies we've watched have had some version of this. The parents at some point leave a child alone unnecessarily, just out of fear, out of mm-hmm. just like pure fear, anxiety. And in this case, it's understandable when the tree outside Robbie's room basically devours him um, or starts to try to eat him. Right. They they both run out, and uh, Craig Steve Nelson is trying to pull him out and diane is like waiting at the door and meanwhile carol ann is upstairs getting you know pulled into a vortex and so like you know as a result they don't they don't know what's what's happened to her and just the importance i i do think it still is a reminder in these real situations yeah but it's just sort of like not turning your back on a kid because you you don't know kind of what you'll you know what you'll miss like we talked about before with with fences or anything like that like you need to keep those kids safe like mm-hmm. I actually almost died, I guess, when I was two. We were at like some kind of a park and I walked into a lily pond and or was looking into it. I don't know, I was two, don't remember. Basically, if like my dad hadn't turned around and seen the lily pad just sort of closing over where I was, you know, like some movement there, they wouldn't even know where I went. Oh, God, it's awful to think about. You So do you not, you don't remember it happening? No, I mean, I was so, yeah, I mean, right. yeah, yeah. No, I've created a false memory of what I think happened, right. but it's like from outside the pond, so clearly it's not what it was, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's just crazy how these things happen. I mean, this was a by design, I think. The the poltergeist is always trying to get Carol Ann. It's right. trying to just like straight up kill Robbie, I think, to like, get them all out of the picture i don't think that right they say the poltergeist is tied to a person that's what they say and i mean she's obviously the person it's tied to is right we uncover but like which does mean though that yeah everyone else is expendable which is interesting yeah. they never quite get there <sighs> but never forget that clown first of all robbie is just so underrated in this movie he is He's oh my god such a it's it's a it's a great performance on his point on his part but we'll get to that too yeah we will um, yeah, so once Carol Ann is gone and they are communicating with her through the TV, they go to these uh, these ghost hunters, Dr. Lesh, and she's so great in this movie, too. She's kind of like the first, she and the 
the two men who come to the mm-hmm. house. I feel like when you remember this movie, you remember Tangina, who is like the older, shorter woman with the very high pitched voice and right. like she's not the voice of Lisa Simpson, but close. Right. She's a scene stealer, you mm-hmm. know? But the original um paranormal detective yeah she is she's so great and she has this like really beautiful explanation of ghosts that she oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. she talks to the kids about and we can play that we'll play that clip we'll add it there you go some people believe that when you die your soul goes to heaven and i was watching but i didn't see anything go up out of them his soul is invisible, Robert. You couldn't see it. But how come Grandpa's in on television, Caroline? Some people believe that when people die, there's a wonderful light, as bright as the sun, but it doesn't hurt to look into it. All the answers to all the questions that you ever want to know are inside that light. And when you walk to it, you become a part of it forever. And then some people die, but they they don't know that they've gone. You think they're still alive? Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to die. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they hadn't lived fully yet, or they'd lived a long, long time, but they still wanted more life. They resist going into that light, however hard the light wants them. They just, they just hang around, watch TV, watch their friends grow up, feeling unhappy and jealous, and those feelings are bad. They hurt. And then some people just get lost on the way to the light, and they need someone to guide them to. So some people get angry and throw things around, like in my bedroom. Yes. Just like in school. Like some kids are nice to you, some kids are mean. Yeah, just talking about that, like the whole idea of just sort of like joining the light, it just becomes a great tie in as well to the rest, you know, to actually. Carol Ann's journey in this or some of this really even some of the questions about like well what how do we advise Carol Ann we can't see her what she's experiencing stuff like that it yeah it's a cool it's a it's a cool device but like well executed and she's just like a really well-rounded character and that whole crew is just again unlike insidious and unlike Pet Cemetery with their explanation of like death and ghosts yeah, oh yeah yeah I mean, and unlike the ghost hunting crew in Insidious or The Conjuring or things like that, besides the fact this is a a diverse ghost hunting crew, they're also skeptics throughout, which I really, again, appreciated. Not that that's the the point of this, but I do think it still gets to the like, yeah, why this why this movie stands up is because yeah, you like, have a female lead. I mean, in this ghost hunting crew, like mm-hmm. she's running this crew, and then you have the two men. One's black and one's white, and they are both different experts. They respect each other's opinions. But at every point that they're trying to investigate this thing, they each introduce some element of skepticism. It's not like skeptics versus believers or anything like that. It's just about like, or 
the the techie versus like the you know whatever yeah, the intuitive one and all, yeah, that. all that stuff it's just it's it's just really well done and the they're and, just bad enough at their jobs though that they'll like start sketching a drawing and not paying attention to the monitors when yeah, something go make a giant dagwood sandwich in the kitchen where you know it's a center of activity when you you know you're not supposed to go in there right um yeah and then when they first arrive like there's all this activity happening and they're kind of leading the three investigators through the house and um it picks up they're like talking to carol ann through the tv and she gets very distressed and like there's this moment of like like things are flying around the house and like it's just this moment of panic and dana's like losing her mind which is again like such a great performance on her part like she she just like freaks out and um a proper teenage response yeah as you would and um there's this moment where diane She's like, no, I'm going to go upstairs to the room, even though they don't go in Caroline's room anymore. Yeah, she runs halfway up the stairs and like this wind blows her, this cosmic wind like blows her hair back and she gasps and it's so powerful. Like she says, I felt Caroline move through me. I felt her in my body and She's and she can smell Caroline and she like holds her scarf up to Craig Steve Nelson. Oh. And I, you know, that's a very powerful moment in the movie. And I remember it, but now watching it as a mom, <laughs> there was just a lot of layers to it. And I teared up watching it because you do like know your child's body and their scent so well. Also, just like the idea of missing your child and knowing that they're there but not there and how crazy that would be obviously oh yeah but, they're wherever for weeks yeah that and, would be so up, <laughs> i can't imagine it and also just like being a mom like i am my kid's biological mom and so i did carry them and like you know what it's like to have these kids inside your body and oh. it's just crazy how that moment like can tap into all those things in this like movie about a, a poltergeist that's just this silly movie. And I think that a lot of people think of this movie that way. And yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why this movie just really affected me so much as a kid. And now, like, I just feel like it, it's a really beautiful movie about a family and like a mom, the main protagonist, you might say. Some would say that. <laughs> Not everyone. <sighs> Yeah, she's great. And a young mom, too. She's... Right, because Dana's 16 in the movie. Right. And the mom's 32. That's right. So what happened there? Save it for the prequel pitch. Ooh. Anyway, the the investigators, like, can't really crack it, and they call in reinforcements. Tangina comes in and devises this plan of Diane and... Craig Steve Nelson trying to pull Carol Ann out of the purgatory right. dimension. The further. <sighs> and so, yeah, so she, there's this uh, th- this part where she asks the, the parents, like, who is the authority? Like, who is she more afraid of? Right. Who is she more afraid of? Quickly, who is she more threatened by, you or your husband? 
Neither. Uh, Steve decides the punishment. The oh, children know that. That's not fair. I've but never about it later. Stephen, make Carol Ann answer you. Carol Ann? Be cross with her. Dad. Be angry with her. You'll never see her again. Carol Ann, I want you to answer me. Tell her if she doesn't answer you, she's going to get a spanking. Oh, come on. I've never spanked a children. Oh, honey, please, just tell her. Carol Ann? You answer your parents or you're going to get a real spanking from the both of us. It was just such a, it was an interesting thing for us to watch as parents because like we don't yell at our kids. And I feel like if we were presented with this same situation, like it would kind of be this like, well, are you, is it you or me? Like, do we like, who's gonna... who, well, who will scare them out of this? Right. That, that dilemma that they face. It, you know, it was interesting because I know a lot of parents yell at their kids. Like that is a thing that people grapple with. It's they bark kind of like at the barking at the. I've been <coughs> some of that myself, but it is really. But but like parents who just habitually yell at their kids, like this is a thing that yeah. people struggle with, and it's not working for anybody. You know, I don't think anybody who yells at their kids is like, well, that was an effective way to deal with this situation. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think we both really responded to that moment because a lot of the parenting advice that we get from Janet Lansbury and from like the Rye philosophy yeah. stuff that we like is not ever having to like get to that point of anger with your kids. And so like we've that's something that I feel like we've recommended to a lot of like our friends who have similar aged kids who kind of go back to the ways that like they were parented or whatever that like they just find that yelling and getting angry just doesn't work right unless you're trying to scare your child out of a purgatory dimension of hell that's a fact (laughs) it's been proven generation after generation that's the one thing rice cereal and yelling at your kid to scare them out of (laughs) two (laughs) things we don't do it's really hard not to lean on those those crutches of the way you were raised. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of it. Like that those are the parenting biggest like parenting moments besides putting Robbie in a cab. Yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta put one kid in the cab and send him to grandma's house with the dog. Is it grandma's house? Do we know? Do they say Yeah, grandma. Oh. Yeah, they talk about how excited grandma is to see him. I wonder if they told grandma what was going on. Probably not. I think you save that till you're in person. We know this. There's just certain things you don't. Yeah, even with FaceTime, it's just mm-hmm. sometimes you got to have that true IRL conversation about the poltergeist. Right, where you can just say it and move past it like it's a normal thing. <laughs> and then that's that. The only thing I flat out would not do that Diane or Craig Steve Nelson did is go back to work while everyone's packing up to move. Yeah, because they kind of. Once they get Carol Ann back, they move out of the house like the next day, it seems. Right. And out of waste of early. And he's like, gotta go check on some stuff at work and leaves them alone. And and he's like, We're gonna go to the the motel. We're not sleeping here tonight, but it gets late. He's at work. So <laughs> Diane like puts the kids to bed in their bedroom that in See, that bedroom scene of the crime like nobody's going back in that room no one's alone in the house in that room or anywhere 
No one is alone. The end. That's right. You leave as soon as possible. Leave your stuff. It's just stuff. Just leave it. Go stay at the motel. Come back and pack when you're all together. No one's alone. Hire the movers to be the kind of movers that just move all the shit out. Maybe they didn't have that back then. Oh, they had it. Do what you got to do. It doesn't matter. I had a 1984 Crown Victoria, and it had power windows and locks and those kind No, granted, that was two years later than this movie. La-di-da. I'm just saying. Wow. They had... There were services for everything. Luxury you still can, existed even in 1982, and certainly at the Cuesta Verde Estates, and certainly for a real estate developer like Craig Steve Nelson. You can pay somebody to do whatever you want them to do. That's right. Money talks. Greed is good, as Poltergeist once said. 1982, baby. Mm. Josh, I think it's time to rate this movie. Oh, I'm ready. Great. Uh, Okay, so we're rating the entire movie first. All right, okay. How many disproportionately tall, thin clowns would you... <laughs> Give this movie out of nine. Out of nine? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to give it nine because I like this movie so much. And I feel like sometimes you just got to give all nine clowns. I'm going to keep Jerry Goldsmith's clown and give it eight. Ugh. You would. That's right. I would. I'm I should, but I won't. All right. How many goo-covered tennis balls do you give... <laughs> The children in this movie. Out of how many? How many is in this bucket of balls? 45. Oh, I give them 45 goo balls. <laughs> yep, it's filled to the brim. And actually, the bucket could hold 50 balls, but it's filled to the brim with extra goo. They're so great. The performances are awesome. Carol Ann's soliloquy to Tweety when burying Tweety. Robbie, excellent, as we talked about. I can still see the profile of those beautiful long front teeth in Shadow. Uh, Carol Ann! Carol Ann! Oh, no, don't play the clip, because that was perfect. That was. It really was. You have a career ahead of you as a Robbie impersonator. Well, my sisters and I used to say that a lot, that quote. So You're right I have to a lot, do of, a lot of practice. 10,000 hours. <laughs> Check out the new Malcolm Gladwell book. Um, and Dana, as we said too, great. I mean, just a great teenager, like a yeah. true, just to nailed yeah, it. Cause she really was so young. I think mm-hmm. that's the key with casting kids. It's like trying to really aim for their real age. How many goo balls out of 45 goo balls do you give them? I just got to give them 45. So that's what I'm going to give them. And why? Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it. All right. You know what? I think it's a perfect time to move into... Where are they now? It's Mummy and Daddy's Totally Awesome. Where are they now? You know, I wish it were totally awesome, but the thing is, it's totally depressing. That's the only close to depressing sound. (laughs) Uh, Do you know about the poltergeist curse? I know you do because we already recorded this episode, but do you know about it? Mm. I don't recall. It's been a long time since we recorded. That's true. So I'm going to tell you about it. The sad truth is that the poltergeist curse 
involves the child actors of this movie. It's a rumored curse, as all curses are, I think. <laughs> Confirmed curse. <laughs> None of them were cast on coach, only the adult male leads. <laughs> Proven curse attached to the Poltergeist trilogy and its crew derived from the deaths of two young cast members in the six years between the releases of the first and third films. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's but a... wait, let me tell you about it. Let me just tell you. All right. The actress who played Carol Ann, Heather O'Rourke, she passed away when she was 12. I th- believe it was during the filming of the third Poltergeist movie. And she had like a misdiagnosed stomach illness. It ended up being septic shock. Mm. Yeah, like she fainted when she was at home and then she said she was okay and then... She had to be, you know, rushed to the hospital and she died on the operating table. Just awful. Awful. And then Dana, played by Dominique Dunn. Mm -hmm. This was after the first movie. She was rehearsing for another movie that she had been cast in. Like Poltergeist was kind of like her first big thing. And she was like well on. She was cast in like two other movies afterwards that were in pre-production. And... Uh, she was dating this abusive guy. Oh, my God. And she she was rehearsing lines with a friend, and he came over and, like, started beating her up and strangled her. Jesus. And she died, yeah. And I guess just reading now, there were two other deaths of, like, minor actors in the Poltergeist series, but they were, I think, like, expected deaths. Like, I think they died from sort of like expect like maybe cancer or something i I haven't looked it up but it's the two these two deaths that make up the poltergeist curse that seems excessive i think you know something i mean like i obviously heard about that before besides just when we recorded the first time but i think i always thought that there was like multiple carol ann's you know, like multiple actors who played her over the years in the sequels, and most of them were dead kind of thing. Oh, wow. It really had snowballed in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just not true. To me, that's a curse, right? Yeah, like this isn't... This is three major movies over like a decade. It right. just seems like crazy shit's going to happen sometimes. Those are, I mean, those are really They're tragic. really tragic. Yeah, and the other ones were like actors who died of cancer basically Mm. and that's also sad but some good news oh (laughs) oliver robbins the actor who played robbie oliver robbins (laughs) he is alive and well he is still acting directing writing doing lots of stuff he was in airplane 2 this the same year so that to me is like wow you've already achieved greatness you've been in two of two of the great films of the great films of, of, of yeah i mean he's like doing stuff here and there he yeah he directed like a it seems like a few short films who who knows what else he's doing really who else knows let us know if you know what he's doing we'd love to hear all right one more segment for us here it's Not really scary good stuff, but something that we want to recommend to everyone along the lines of Poltergeist is getting a house cleaner. Mm, I 
I had been a skeptic for so long. And this, so this is a fairly new thing for us as a household, but I highly recommend it. I think it's like the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. My greatest achievement is hiring this person. I think, well, everybody had said, no, no, everyone had said what a good move it was. And I really recommend just trying to scrape together that money for house cleaner once a month more if you can handle it because it really is like the time that you're paying for and just like having somebody else do it it creates a way better baseline than you can ever get to yourself yeah that to me is like the real thing and it's kind of a motivator to keep it together in between which you'd think it might be even worse that you just like let things fall to shit the day before they come but really it's more just like oh yeah like now that it's clean i can keep it a little bit clean especially if you still are able to keep up with doing some cleaning that then they can get it some like gnarly grime they'll clean your oven or those kinds of things you know if they're good at what they do and it's like really right if they're good at what they do now here's the thing if someone comes into your house and claims and it's not as in the poltergeist comes back I think you should just send a text or maybe even call and say, you got to come back. You got to do this over or just ask them. Yeah. I I can't even ask someone to like clean up a haircut that I don't like. Yeah. Well, if they like miss some spots, I won't go back. I'll just like. That doesn't cost as much as a house clean. I I feel like you should at least get some answers. I am really unclear as to why nobody talks about the fact that Tangina did not clean that house in Poltergeist. She's so cocky. She has this moment of saying her line, the house is clean. And it's fucking not. What about that? It goes into, it implodes. She really, she really missed the mark. Yeah. And they even say it's not the house, right? So like. Take off your transition lenses when you're inside the house, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) She's really off base. That's all I'm saying. Well, I think we can say without a doubt that... Thank you, Eloisa. Yes, it is. Yes, and thank you guys so much for bearing with us while we re-recorded this episode and found the time to do that. Hey, don't be a creep. Get in touch. If you like what you're hearing, email us at mummyxdaddy at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at mummyxdaddy or on Instagram at mummyxdaddypod. You can also leave us a voicemail at 818-839-1991. Not anything about Jerry Goldsmith, please. Unless it's slander. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you know what? You could even tell a friend. That's even better. You got a parent or horror fan in your life? Send them a link. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by Dara Weinberg. Maggie Spalding is a warm bath after you deal with the paranormal right before you have to deal with it yet again. Bye. Bye.